If you have spent any time reading the Bible or listening to any scripture, you will hear periodically a reference made to clothing. It's interesting, if you caught today, there was a reference made to two coats and how you don't need to have two coats. You need to give one away. In fact, Jesus would talk about that when the apostles and the disciples would go out for mission not to take two coats. And it's interesting because in our own culture, I don't know how much you pay attention to, but if you open up the newspaper, particularly around the holidays or any particular Sunday, you'll see a bunch of ads for clothing stores and sales going on. And, and if you go to a mall, how many of the stores are really clothing stores or having to do with clothing? And I, you know, just looking out, some of you plan what you wear. Some of you obviously don't, but some of you plan what you wear. You know, and I know when we go on a trip, my wife plans each day what she's going to wear each day when we go on a trip, and she has a plan. So a lot of people take care in terms of clothing, and some people spend an enormous amount of money on their clothing. The Old Testament and the New Testament both make reference to it. In fact, there's illusions even to what happens to us spiritually with clothing. John the Baptist, last week, Steve talked about how he had camel's hair for clothing and how that wouldn't be too comfortable. And when Jesus referred to John the Baptist, he said, did you go out to see someone dressed in soft raiment, beautiful clothing? And see, part of the challenge of dealing with a passage like we have today in Zechariah the prophet is understanding that there was a number of verses that preceded it there that are significant to what we have before us today. And part of the reference is to clothing. See, this, the passage that we have before us talks about a follow-up to what just preceded it. Let me tell you what just preceded it. Joshua was the high priest. And, and Zechariah was the prophet. And the scene that was going on at the time in Jerusalem was that the people of Jerusalem had just rebuilt the temple. Historically, the northern kingdom of Israel fell in 721, conquered by the Assyrians. Why? Because the people had departed from the Lord. The warning was for the southern part of the kingdom, Judah, or also known as Judea. The same thing is going to happen to you unless you repent, unless you return to the Lord, which they did for a season. And some of them, many of them, just superficially. Well, then there was a vision that happened to one of the prophets that the glory of the Lord had departed the temple. The presence of the Lord which means that the people really had walked away from the Lord. And so the southern kingdom, where Jerusalem was, Judea, was conquered in 587. And there was a prophecy that said 70 years later the people would return and they would rebuild the temple. That's when Zechariah was on the, on the scene. And you need to know which Zechariah because in Scripture there's about 20 Zechariahs. 
including John the Baptist's daddy, was Zechariah. So this Zechariah was there when the people returned from exile, and they returned with Zerubbabel, the governor, not a name that's popular today, or you would probably name your child, but Zerubbabel was the governor, Joshua was the high priest, and Zechariah was the prophet. Hang with me. The year is 515. And they rebuild the temple. And the significance is we're hoping that the presence of the Lord returns. And the Lord becomes our protection and defender and we have prosperity again. Well, Zechariah has a vision. And the vision is that Satan accuses the people with Joshua as a representative because he had filthy clothes on of being unworthy. So there's the significance, the filthy clothes. And so what the Lord does is he dresses Joshua in a white robe to basically say, Because I love you, because I choose to have mercy and grace on you, on my people, I'm dressing you in a white robe to declare you righteous, to declare you forgiven and clean. And see, what you need to understand as a Christian is that foreshadows what we experience through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful image. You know, that's why we dress babies oftentimes when we baptize them in these flowing white gowns. Because that's the righteousness of Christ that we're symbolizing when babies are baptized. And in fact, what we also know about prophecy is that prophecy oftentimes isn't just fulfilled once. There are layers and layers of prophecy that over time there's more fulfillment and we have a fuller knowledge and understanding of what the prophecy was about initially. So it's really, really helpful to understand what was being said to Zechariah through this vision. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Because when Paul writes to the Colossians, for example, a passage that is an allusion to baptism that talks about how we put on the righteousness of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, the Greek actually is take off, put off, referring to clothing. Whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed. And And the list goes on and on and on about the things we need to take off. And then, verse 12, as Christ... God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. So there's that whole idea of when we clothe ourselves because of the righteousness of Christ, we are being transformed by his grace. Okay, that's the second fulfillment, the foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah and that our lives would be transformed because of him, because of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. Going on to the book of Revelation, the revelation to John. Chapter three, if you conquer. Now, this is the second coming. If you last till the end, if you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes. 
There you go. The fulfillment for all time. We will be covered with the righteousness of Christ. We will be with him forever. A new heavenly body with a white robe, the righteousness of Christ. We will be holy and complete and perfect. So you see these levels of prophecy fulfilled over time in a more complete way. But we see this foreshadowing in Zechariah. But there's one other note here. It's not just outwardly. It's not just superficial. It's not just the clothing. You know, we can put on good clothes. We can put on our Sunday best, if you will. We can fake it. Most of us are good at that for a while. But that's not what this passage is talking about. Again, bring it to the New Testament. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees and Sadducees? They were legalistically correct. They looked the part. The problem is is that it's an inward transformation that needs to take place. That the outward is symbolic. It's not just about looking good outwardly. It's about being changed inwardly. That's God's desire. Which we can't do. See, the difference between Satan, the accuser, is that the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit to come in, he convicts and he converts. Big difference. See, a lot of times when we do this superficial stuff, we have these guilt trips and we feel ashamed. And then we just go on doing what we do. But what the Holy Spirit does is convict us in our heart. And convert us and change us and transform us. And that's why what you see when you come... Now, we're finally getting into the passage, by the way. That was all background. Those of you that are used to me know that we're just getting going here, okay? Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, you will, you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, and you shall rule my house and have charge over my courts. See, the reality is, is once you understand what I want to do with you, That I want to change you. You will keep my requirements not because you're able. But because by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will transform you. See, we're not able. You need to understand that. If you're trying to fake it, if you're trying to do it on your own, if you're trying to do it short term, if you're legalistically following the law like the Pharisees and Sadducees were always trying to do, you're missing the point. It is not about your personal perfection. It is about God transforming you by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's like an infant. You can't, if you are an infant, you can't change yourself. You can't change your diaper. Honest, I've dealt with two infants in the last few months. My grandchildren. 
They need help. God changes us. He changes us. It's a matter of us emptying ourselves. Allowing Him to dress us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Putting on the righteousness of Christ. His grace. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So then we see this next reference that points right to Him. Right to Him. Zechariah 3, 8 and 9. Now listen, Joshua, high priest, you and your colleagues who sit before you, they are an omen of things to come. Here we go. This is for us. I'm going to bring my servant the branch, for on the stone that I have set before you, Joshua, on that single stone with seven facets, that is Jesus Christ. The branch, the first reference, the branch of David. That he is going to be the Messiah Sitting on the throne of David, a descendant of his. That's the first reference. The second reference is the stone, the cornerstone, rejected. There's the reference to the suffering servant Messiah. He's rejected. Who becomes the chief cornerstone? He has to suffer. And see, Zechariah would be familiar with Isaiah. And we see that over and over again. The suffering servant Messiah, particularly in Isaiah 52 and 53, but also in 49. This stone that was rejected. And and he makes this reference to the seven facets. Now, when you read Scripture, sometimes numbers are significant. This is one of those times. Sometimes they're not. And people want to make a big deal every time they see numbers in Scripture. And you have to be really, really careful with that. It's like, what's the significance of Jesus after the resurrection and he has them catch the fish and there's 153 fish? What's the significance? They caught a lot of fish. That's it. But the significance of seven here means fullness. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, the seven facets. And that would be a reference in Zechariah to Isaiah chapter 11. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight, his joy will be in the fear of the Lord and pleasing him. The fullness of the Lord dwelt in him. And this is a completion and overflow of Isaiah chapter nine. The passage we are so familiar with through Handel's Messiah, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a continuation of that in Isaiah 11. This fullness of the Spirit resting upon Him. But at the same time, Isaiah 53, 
the suffering servant Messiah, who takes upon himself the iniquity of us all. The filthy clothes. And what do we have? We take on his righteousness, the white robe. See, that's the significance of this robe that I wear on Sundays. That way I don't have to guess every Sunday what to wear. I just wear a white dress, you know. This last section in Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 10. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, you shall invite each other to come under your vine and your fig tree. That has two references that are significant. First of all, on that day, when you understand fully and completely who I am, the vine, that would be a reference to Isaiah 5. Over and over again, you see Zechariah having these allusions to Isaiah. Isaiah 5, where Israel is the vineyard that God has planted, the vine. Where Jesus refers to he's the vine and we are the branches. And then he tells a parable to them about the vineyard, them being the people of Israel. This whole idea of the vineyard and the vine, that means the people of God. That means the place where we, as the people of God, have communion with him. If you are a believer, when we gather together, and what this says is you're going to invite other people. It goes to the Great Commission. We will invite other people because we've been blessed, because we understand his transforming power in our lives. Not because we've done it, not because we're so good, not because we're perfect. Because he's done it. He's done it. And then this reference to the fig tree. If you know John chapter 1, when Jesus meets Nathaniel, Nathaniel who becomes one of his 12 apostles, and he says to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. And what he was saying was, I understand you were seeking the Lord, seeking personal communion with him. It, it was a colloquialism for basically, as we would call it today, having a quiet time, having a time of devotion. In other words, we will have communion with God and we will invite people into our home, into a relationship with the Lord one on one. In other words, because we've been so blessed by his transforming power, by his grace, we understand it personally. We understand it as his community. And we become an inviting people. That's what this passage is saying. It's a precursor to the gospel. That's why it's a reading in Advent. Now you need to understand. The picture that we get here and what happens just a few years down the road basically tell you this is not perfection. That's not what happens to us individually or as a people. Not perfection. We all want perfection. We want comfort. We want ease. We want everything to be hunky-dory. And it's not reality. 
What does everyone want at Christmas? We want the Christmas scene, right? Daddy and Mommy, Joseph and Mary, and the baby Jesus not crying. Right? We want the perfect picture. The sheep all behaving, the shepherds bowing down, very quiet. Do you realize they're in a stable? There's manure. Mary and Joseph had traveled a long way without a shower. The shepherds were out in the fields. We don't know how long. And they came and worshipped. This is not a pretty scene. Why do we clean it up? We want clean. We want pristine. We want pretty. We want nice. That's not life. And around our own homes, the Christmas tree, the ornaments, the presents, everything wrapped perfectly. We want pretty. That's not reality. It's tearing to the presents. It's a mess. That's reality. It's family uncomfortable times. That's reality. Right? We forget that. This scene that we have here, the promise of the restoration, it happens in spurts. And it doesn't happen perfectly. Just a few decades down the road, a couple of decades. Nehemiah is working in the court of the king. Nehemiah, the book, is named after him. Great book on leadership. Nehemiah hears of what is going on in Jerusalem. The temple's been rebuilt, but there's a problem. The people are divided. It's in disarray. They're not worshiping regularly. The priests have left because they're not getting paid. There have been foreigners infiltrating and there's pagan worship going on in and around the temple. It's a mess. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for a church to become a mess. One generation away from extinction, by the way. And Nehemiah wept. He wept over Jerusalem. We know another person who wept over Jerusalem. That would be Jesus. And he prayed. And he said, I've got to go there and I've got to do something. That's what makes the difference. When people who are committed are touched in their heart, who love the Lord enough, Because that's really what it is. And say, I want to not only be in communion with you, I want to share this with other people. Your mission, I want to be part of. I want to be a co-missionary with you. To bring transformation to the world. See, we love to clean it up by just talking about little sins. But our problem is far greater than that. It's called sin. It's separation. It's rebellion. It's brokenness. That Jesus came into the world to become our Messiah. To take on himself our iniquity, our filthy clothes. 
and die in our place for our sin so that we might wear the white robe and be transformed. That's his grace. And it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we don't keep it to ourselves. We can't. We can't. This is a season that lends itself to sharing the good news. The good news that in this messy and broken world, in this world where people love to fake it by dressing up, that God wants to change our clothes from the inside out and make us whole. And make us complete. And show us the depth of his love in Jesus Christ. That's why he sent him. Into the world. And into our lives. Let's pray. writes to the Corinthians that there is now a new temple. That when we believe, we become his temple. Where he dwells in us. And we bear his fruit. The fruit that is love and joy and peace. For the world to see, for the world to experience. Lord, I pray this day that for those of us that are believers we would truly understand the depth of the gift that we've been given. The gift of Jesus who took on our filthy clothes that we might wear the right white robe. And Lord, that we might be your vessels, your temple. That we might be under the fig tree and under the vine and invite others to share in the gift of the good news the gift of Jesus who came that first Christmas and that we celebrate in but a couple of weeks. Lord, amidst all the other celebration, the presence, the tree, the food, the fellowship, help us to remember that true gift and to share that true gift, the gift of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.